trust them. And next thing you know, you're in this relationship, whether it's a friend or a, a spouse or whatever. And so sacrifice is at the center of it because we, we don't get into relationships so that we can get something. That's a very selfish kind of love. And that's the love that the world knows very well. And that's the world, that's the kind of love that the world is accustomed to. But biblical Christian love is self, it's, it's selfless. And it's serving. It's serving someone else's needs, not your own. And if you're the type of person where you're always looking, what can I get out of this? If I don't get anything out of this, I'm gone. You're going to be a lonely person. Because that's not what love is. And I would encourage you to ask the Lord, to pray, to say, Lord, change my heart if that's the deal. Because it's not all about you. But here's the, here's the wonderful mystery about friendship, the wonderful mystery about love, is that when you give yourself away to serve someone else, chances are they're going to do the same thing. But it may have to start with you. And most people aren't willing to start. They're willing to wait and receive. But it has to happen both. Does that make sense? And, and we're going to see that tonight in the life of Jonathan. In fact, we'll see that as we get through the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to see Jonathan and David, these two men who really loved each other, and they were great friends. They were great friends. But we're also going to see the great treachery between David and Jonathan's father, Saul. And obviously, the verses that I spoke to you were concerning Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us. Greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends, and that's exactly what Jesus did. But also when we look at uh, David and Jonathan, they were, they were, they were two um, kindred spirits. We learned in chapter 14 of, of how Jonathan willingly laid down his life as he went after a Philistine regiment, him and his armor bearer, just the two of them, going up against many and so we see that he was willing by faith to lay down his life as a sacrifice for his brethren, for even for his father, the king, but for the children of Israel. Proverbs 18, there's a wonderful verse, verse 24, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And even though David had brothers, they were really not his friends. David's brothers were more antagonists than anything else. But, but Jonathan, the, the son of the king, the heir apparent to the throne, when David began to become popular, it would be very natural for Jonathan and David to be like water and oil because David was rising in popularity and Saul was decreasing and Jonathan was the heir apparent to the throne. And you would think that Jonathan would be, feel very threatened by David and that is normally the case, and, and that is the majority of relationships in the world. Under those circumstances, there's bitterness, hatred, jealousy, suspicion. So with that in mind, let's read the first 17 verses, 16 verses. First Samuel 18, it says, Now when he had finished, uh, and this is coming right off the heels of David slaying Goliath, and Saul just kind of like, who is this young man? Saul certainly knew who David was because David had been playing the harp or the lyre before Saul as he would have these attacks of the enemy or these, the evil spirit from God coming upon him. And David would play, and, and certainly Saul knew him, but he didn't know him really well. He was just a, a boy, young man. He really didn't 
look too much into his, who's your family, who's your dad. There wasn't a whole lot of that. It was just he was there for a purpose, because David was very obscure at this time. And so when David kills Goliath and he comes before Saul, immediately after that, he's like, okay, now whose son are you? (laughs) And David says in the very last verse of chapter 17, he says, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. And so now we pick up in chapter 18. It says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And so Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and he gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also the sight of Saul's servants. Now it came to pass as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And so the women sang as they danced, and this is their song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. And then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have only ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? kingdom. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the, day, on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the, inside the house. And so David played music with the hand, with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. And therefore, Saul removed him from his presence, made him captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel loved David because he went out and came in before them. What an amazing uh, situation that David finds himself here, uh, going from obscurity, uh, keeping the sheep out in the field, now being in the king's presence and playing the guitar, so to speak, to minister to Saul. Let's go back to verse 1 here. This is a, a wonderful story of a number of things. Again, friendship and treachery. Friendship between David and Jonathan and treachery between Saul and David. Not from David's part, but from Saul's part. But notice it says that when he had finished speaking to Saul, Jonathan's listening to David speak to his father. And, and David, as each, each word that David is speaking, Jonathan's just going, man, this guy, I love this guy. And you know, it's amazing that there have been commentators who actually, very liberal commentators, who would like to incorporate homosexuality here. Can you believe that? The thought never entered my mind, but there are those who say, you know, that David somehow had this intimate relationship with Jonathan. And, I, and, I, and I'm just like, what are you talking about? Where There's something really wrong, <laughs> you know, with that. Because it is possible for brothers in Christ to love each other 
to really love each other because they care about each other. It's a different kind of love, obviously. It's not an eros kind of love like a husband and wife would have, you know, with the physical attraction. It's just, you know, he saw qualities in David. He's like, it was, it was like his, his twin brother in a sense. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Has anybody kind of spoke to you that way? Maybe you've had a best friend who was like that. It's very rare, I think. I don't think it's really common for this kind of thing to happen, but it happened here. But notice it says that when, uh, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the Saul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This word knit is a really interesting word. It literally means to tie, and, and, and uh, physically to gird, or, or even mentally in love and in, in a league with one another. They had a bond together that was very strong. Jonathan and David, kindred spirits. Men who were both men of faith. Jonathan exemplified his faith in chapter 14. We saw that. And certainly David was just uh, coming right from the battle with the Philistine. And the whole army with the Philistines. So Jonathan's looking at him and going, you know, this guy is just like me. It's like, I just, he's got the same heart, the same vision, the same everything. It's just like, Jonathan was just like, this guy is amazing. I can serve a guy like that. I can, I can serve under a guy like that. I'd be glad to be in his army. And see, that's what real faith does. Real faith encourages people to greater faithfulness. That's why Saul was such a disappointment, because there was not a whole lot of faith in Saul. There, was, there were not a whole lot of examples of faith in his life for his guys around him, the whole army, to stand up and say, we will fight with you to the very end. We'll do anything for you. I mean, David even had men at one time, later on we'll read about it, where he was in a hold. I think he was in Adullam's cave, and he's like, oh, if I could just have some water from the, from the, you know, from the stream in Bethlehem. And three of the men broke through the lines of the Philistines and brought him a cup of water from that very stream or from that well. That's, that's what love does. It, it's a little reckless. It, it's not even considered, uh, considering itself. And really, that's what love is. That's what faith is. That's what love is. Real love is willing to lay it all on the line. You know, and some people today, I hate to say it, but there's a, a lot of people today, because they've been hurt in the past, they've built this fortress around their heart, and they let nobody in any longer. And unfortunately, they die old people. They get old and they die, and they're still lonely because they're never willing to be broken again. You know, it's a funny thing about love, isn't it? You've got to be vulnerable, but being vulnerable, there, there's a risk involved. It's like your whole self, your whole being is on the line, and you're entrusting someone, someone else, to take care of that and to not betray that. And when it is betrayed, it's one of the greatest hurts that we'll ever know. And many of you, perhaps all of us in this room, know that. If you've ever had a first love, you know the pain and the deep heart, heartache that that is. But this kind of friendship between David and Jonathan, it is rare. And as the age progresses, our age progresses, it's getting even more rare because 
Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Why? For men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money and boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. All they do is think about themselves. It's all about me. It's all about my needs getting met. It's not about what can I do to give. Boy, our world is so messed up. Do you know that our world is messed up? Can I get an Amen. It is. It's completely void of real, what real biblical love. And see, that's why it's important that we abide in these things, that we abide in Christ. Because when we abide in his love, it's going to be demonstrated through our life, not only to the people that we're closest to, but for those who don't know. They need to see it because love needs to be seen. It can't just be heard. It can't just be heard. Anybody can say, I love you. But then to go and do the dishes, to take out the laundry, to mow the grass without having to have your wife pester you, you do it just because it, it, that's your lie. That's what you need to do. She's got other things to do, but... So I'll, I'll digress. I, I won't go any further. <laughs> Notice in verse 1 that Jonathan loved him. In the Hebrew language, the word love, there's only one word for love, and it's ahav. Aha, that's where we get the Ahava products in the Dead Sea. It's called love. One word, love. And that word, love, covers all the different kinds of love. You love your dog. You love your wife. You love eating falafel. You love your chariot. And we all know in context that those are very different kinds of love. You love your daughter. In Hebrew, there's just one word. In the Greek, there's several. There's storge. There's agape, agapeo. There's uh, phileo and there's eros for the kind of just sexual love, the lust. In English, we use the word love, but in context, we know what it means. When I say I love my, you know, I, you know, I love my guitar and I love my wife and I love my daughter and I also like French burnt peanuts, you know that obviously there's a difference in context. You know my, the difference between that love. Notice in verse 2, it says, So Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his home, to his father's house anymore. David was to serve in a more permanent fashion rather than his prior appointment as Saul's musician, in a sense. It says in verse 3, Then Jonathan and David, they made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. I love that. It's just, it repeats it again. There's a real special bond between these two guys. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David with his armor, his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And this kind of uh, a giving of, of Jonathan's robe and his armor was a very, was a thing of great honor to the recipient. Because Saul is the king's son. And Saul's son, Jonathan, is basically saying, you deserve the right that I have. Now, the, the kingship was never to continue on in Benjamin. Certainly not. Saul was the only one. It was supposed to go through Judah, through David. But, but at that time, Jonathan was the heir apparent. And he says, you know what? I'll gladly submit to you, David. And can you imagine what that did to Saul as David is, or, you know, Jonathan's there and the three of them are there and he just takes off his, his robe his, and he gives it to him. And it's like his personality. He's giving his person to David. That's really what it is. It's a very high honor to do that. In fact, Jonathan would gladly yield the throne to David. And he even said that as much. And later on, as we get in about five more chapters, Jonathan's going to say, it says that Jonathan's son arose, this is 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, 
Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and he went to David in the woods and he strengthened his hand in God and he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. And I love this guy, Jonathan. He wasn't a a power-hungry individual. He was like, I just want to serve you, David. I want to serve the Lord as I serve you and I'll protect you. I'll, keep, I'll give you intelligence on what my dad is doing. He's put a contract out on your life. <laughs> all the videos and the cameras, I'll erase all the tape, David. I'll shut off the power to those cameras as you walk by. We're going to see this development in their friendship as we go on. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, especially difficult times. It's easy to love somebody when things are going well. But remember, as you said your vows, guys and ladies, when, you're, when you stood at the altar till, to love you through sickness and in health, richer or poor, till death do you part. Those are vows that we made before God. And yet so easily today, people forget about them because it's no longer fitting to them anymore. It's no longer convenient. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes blood will betray you where somebody who doesn't have any relationship to you will be your closest ally. Isn't that true? There's that phrase, blood flows thicker than water. Sometimes it's the people not in your family that's closest to you. It's somebody who's outside of your family. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, this is um, the record after Saul had died in battle. David writes a song called the Song of the Bow, and in it he says this. He says, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. And I love David, the fact that he could, he could bestow such honor and, and love for even Saul, who was the one who was hunting him for 15 years. After he was anointed by Samuel, some 15 years goes by, and he's running around in a cave trying to avoid this madman. And yet his son was his closest confidant. And then he goes on in verse 25 of that same chapter. He says, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. You loved, your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Surpassing the love of women. And again, no funny weirdness here. This is just true love for a human being. I love that. It's rare. I hope as a church we can foster those kinds of relationships. It may not be as deep as David and Jonathan, but to be able to trust one another, to earn that trust. Trust is earned, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. You don't just trust somebody automatically. You trust somebody little by little. You tell them something that's intimate to you, and you find that they keep their mouth shut, and they don't tell everybody. You don't find it on the prayer chain the next day. In some churches, that's a real problem. Gossip kills churches all the time. People have been hurt so badly. 
But notice in verse 5, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. In other words, he prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war. So now he's the commander of the army, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. The whole army, the whole nation now is looking at David with just like stars in their eyes. I mean, this guy is really a good example. And David didn't take it to heart. He still was very humble in his heart. That's probably one of the things that made him such a great king. He didn't see himself as all of that. He was just doing his normal business. One day he's knocking out a a lion in the the sheepfold. The next day he's taking out Goliath. (laughs) But David prospered. Here's the secret because the Spirit of God was upon him. And Saul set him over the men of war because by this time they had a great esteem for David. It was David that led them in the victory, not only against Goliath, but also the Philistines. And it was his courage, David's courage and his valiance that they could muster behind. They could surely know that he was the king and they lost their confidence in Saul. And either way, Saul knew that he could use David as long as he could. Saul was going to use David for his own ends until he could either kill David himself, as we will see, or he could lead him in enough battles where the the enemies would do it for him. Saul didn't care how it got done. I'm sure he would prefer that David would just go to the battle with the Philistines and a report would come back and say, you know, David was killed in battle. Oh, that's so horrible. That's, that's, man, that's just horrible. What's for lunch? That's kind of Saul's attitude. He wants to kill him. Either way, he thought he could. Or that the enemies of God could do the job for him. But God, God anointed him. And I love this. The fact that God anointed him and he wouldn't be coronated king for another 15 years. Whether David or Saul knew it or not, David's success was guaranteed through the promises of God. Remember when Jacob was on his deathbed as he was prophesying over his 12 sons, what did he say in Genesis 49.10? says, the scepter, he's speaking to Judah, he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The right to rule shall not depart from Judah, not Benjamin, but from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. It was through David. David was invincible at this moment in history. Things had been prophesied about his reign, his line. Ultimately, through his line would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 1. And you can also read about it in Luke chapter 3. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, remember when David, after all of his enemies had been vanquished, David said to Nathan... He said, you know, I've been living in this beautiful house, and up to this point, the God's ark has been dwelling in tents. And David had it in his heart to build God a house. God didn't need a house. God could care less. He was very content living in the tent, a very ugly-looking thing. God wasn't concerned about that. But David wanted to do something special for God, and he told Nathan, that's what I want to do. And David said, that's a great idea. Go for it. And that night, God spoke to David and said, David... Or Nathan, go tell David, he doesn't have to build me a house. I never required you to build me a house, David. Your son's going to build me a house, but you don't need to build me a house. In fact, you can't because your hands are full of blood. You're a warrior, David, but your son, 
he will build me a house. And David was so blown away by that message, he goes in before the Lord, and the Lord tells him, the Lord tells him through Nathan, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Do you understand? Seed. Speaking of Christ, not only of Solomon and Rehoboam, but also the seed, which we know from Genesis 3.15, and, and I think Genesis 13.15. Uh, talks about the seed, singular, ultimately Jesus Christ. But he says, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What? For 70 years? No, forever. Now it changes, doesn't it? It's not just about Solomon. It's not about David. It's not even about his lineage because now Jesus, now God is telling Nathan to tell David, I'm going to set up your kingdom forever. And he's going to say, he shall build me a house. Solomon, he's going to begin. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. It's speaking of a one who will live forever, Jesus Christ. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. And your house, here it is, and he says it twice, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Again, your throne shall be established forever. So he's speaking about something way beyond He's speaking about the seed, the promised seed. Through David's line, through the line of Judah, and Matthew chapter 1 shows us that very clearly after the fact. It puts kind of flesh on those bones that we're hearing about now. Now it happened, verse 6, as they were coming home, and it was, uh, what was happening, it was, it was customary when they had a battle like this, that they would go into the villages and kind of parade through the villages after a big battle like this, and, and it's victorious, and there'd be a lot of celebration, a lot of dancing. It happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel. Again, they're singing, dancing. They came to meet Saul with the tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments, so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. The song that the women sang is the same that is recalled later, later on in chapter 21 and also in chapter 29. It's reiterated again. And the singing of the women was the icing on the cake of Saul's jealousy. Can you imagine that? You're head and shoulders taller than everybody. You're beautiful. You got the, you got the kingdom. You're the king. And David is... I'm sure much shorter than King Saul, probably not as handsome. And now the women are coming out of the cities. Guys, this, I don't know, for some reason, I think maybe guys can really relate to this. If you have two friends and, and you walk through the village and all the women are singing about your friend and, and, and you're not really that important, how does that make you feel? If your heart's not right, you're going to be jealous. And that's exactly what was happening to Saul. Inside, he was burning. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm the king. I'm the one who allowed him to come into my sphere of influence. I gave him, it wasn't true though, but he's thinking to himself, I gave him this great opportunity. I gave him, I allowed him to be captain over my thousand, over the men of war, and I gave him this great opportunity. The praise should go to me, not him. 
And it drove him nuts because he didn't have the guts to go out and take on Goliath himself. A young man, shorter and inexperienced, who nobody cared about, insignificant, obscure, goes out and he does the job. And Saul is continually, it's like, it's like a tidal wave. It's, it's, like a, it's like a ripple that builds into a small wave and the wave gets bigger and bigger and pretty soon it's a tsunami and we're going to see there's going to come a point where it's going to come crashing on the waves but David is going to be alive and Saul himself will be dead when it's all over with because his jealousy got the best of him. And jealousy always will tear you apart. If you're a person who's prone to jealousy, be very careful. You may think you got a handle on it now, but it festers and it grows and it's like a fire and it'll eat you like cancer from the inside. And before long, you won't even be able to control what you're saying. You won't be able to control what you're thinking. You won't be able to sleep at night because all you're thinking about is that person who drove you nuts and seems to have everything and you have nothing. They get all the accolades. I get nothing. Jealousy is a horrible thing. It says in verse 8, Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed only thousands. Can you imagine the pity party of the king? <laughs> they've only ascribed me ten, you know, thousands, and David ten thousands. He's like wetting his diaper. <laughs> I love what it says in Proverbs 27, verse 4. It says, wrath is cruel. And anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Who is able to stand before envy? Have you been around somebody who's envied you? And in your face, they're talking all these good things, but behind your back, you're finding out they're telling all kinds of strange things, and they're really not your friend at all. But, oh, they're so sweet. They're talking, you know, oh, you're so wonderful, you know, such a great friend. And, but they're not. You had people like that? We all have. In Proverbs 14, verse 30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And it was eating Saul, and it would consume him to the point where he would do anything. And Saul certainly remembered what Samuel told him. Remember in that great failure in chapter 15, when he was supposed to destroy all the Amalekites, he, he didn't destroy all of them. He saved the king, uh, the, the king of the Amalekites. He didn't kill him. Remember what Samuel said to, to Saul? The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And now Saul knows who that neighbor is. It's none other than David. And he's starting to think about it, and he's starting to put two and two together, and he's just a man who is just deposed, and it's just eating him up, and he never repented of it. It will destroy you. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's true. It's a universal truth that no one can escape if it's not repented of and dealt with. That's why we've got to take the Bible seriously. That's why the Bible says, you know, you know, pay attention to your heart. For out of it comes forth the issues of life, right? Be diligent in how you keep your heart. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. The idea here is that he viewed him with great suspicion. He watched his every movement with jealousy and resentment. If this were to happen today, Saul would have David tracked. He would have, his, he would have tracking devices on his vehicle. Saul would have David surveilled through cameras and videos and wiretaps. Because he was the king, he would be able to do that. 
Have you ever looked upon or been treated like this by somebody in your life? Perhaps you've had that dream job, you're a young person, and you come into a, a job, and you are pretty qualified to do the job, and you're full of zeal, and you're, you go at it, you're just really just, man, you're just like cleaning house, and all the people that have been there for 20, 30 years are looking around going, oh my gosh, this guy is really like making us look bad. So what do they do? Do they say, man, it's great, man, we, gotta, we have to rise up and, 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 and kind of get off the old wood and... And, and, and start doing something. But does that normally happen? What normally happens? The lunchroom. Did you hear what he said? I can't believe it. You know, he's like 30 years younger than us. We've been here. We've not been experienced. Next thing you know, they're just like tearing a guy apart. Who is able to stand before envy? You know, and if you're in that place, maybe where you're in a, maybe you're the older person and the younger guy is coming in and he's full of zeal and full of inexperience, but he'll do anything and he does it even better than you would have. If you're in that place, consider something. Consider doing the opposite of what your nature would want you to do. Get behind him. Get behind him. Encourage him. Give him everything you've got. Help him along the way. You become more valuable to the company that you work for when you do that, even if you think it's going to end, your job's going to end. But you know what? Your job will end anyway if you don't. You get the point? But if you're a mentor, a real mentor, and you're not concerned about your own job, you're not concerned about your own pride, I've been the recipient of people like that. And I've also looked at people like that at times. But I, I know that feeling of being resented because I was just doing what I was, doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was doing it unto the Lord, and I was excited. And then I have an adversary in the same building. Instead of building me up, tearing me down privately. Have you ever had that happen? It's not good. It's a horrible sickness to be envious of someone else. When the flame of your excitement is all but faded, you're just sitting in a chair collecting a paycheck while the young kid is running around doing the job for you, willing to do anything, and you become old wood. Saul was doing what was natural. Instead of getting behind the young man, he chose to tear him down and make his life miserable. It's very unusual for that not to happen. But notice in verse 10, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God, notice the very next day after all of that, is it any wonder? His heart was so rotten, is it any wonder that the very next day the, this evil spirit comes upon him and, and just creates havoc? A distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. And this was not prophecy, prophesying of God. This was, uh, uh, this was not what you might think it was. Normally, normally we think of prophesying as something godly, but Saul is not prophesying godly things here. And so David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And this must have further infuriated Saul because David was not only this revered warrior now, a national hero, but the guy could play the guitar. He's gifted. He can sing. He's probably had a great voice. I don't know if he sang or not, but he played. He's gifted. And this was a recipe for disaster. It's interesting, too, when you consider the importance of David's line and 
as David is there before Saul, the devil or the demon that is, you know, arousing Saul makes you wonder how much he knew. Only what God allowed him to know, but he certainly knew the scripture. He knew Genesis 49.10, and so he's thinking, you know what? It's through him the Messiah is going to come. And can you imagine that demon on Saul? Oh, just pick up your sword. Just pick it up. Just pick up the javelin. You know you hate him. Just pick it up and throw it against, the, just pin him against the wall. You know you want to do it. Saul, you know you want to do it. And finally Saul does. He throws the javelin. Satan wanted to snuff the possibility of Christ ever being born based on the prophecies that he knew very well. But God preserved him. Verse 11, it says, And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But notice, David escaped his presence twice. I mean, think of it. After the first time, I think I would have just called in sick the next day. Or maybe as I'm sitting there playing my guitar, instead of looking at my music stand, I'm looking at Saul and I'm checking out where his hand is. Because any second, I'm going to have to drop that guitar and I'm going to have to run for my life. So all of a sudden, I mean, this happened twice. So David's like, Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, he's, he's dodging the spear. Can you imagine how unnerving that would be? And he would do it again in the next chapter. We're going to see it in verse 9. But notice verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. He was afraid of him because he was threatened by him because David contained all the stuff that Saul did not have. Saul didn't have faith. Saul didn't have any conviction of heart. Saul was just a washed-up leader who was bent on obedience. He was all about him. He wasn't obedient to God. And David was obedient. He was loyal. And David would have served Saul all the days of his life if that was God's will, and he would have done it without saying a bad word about Saul. Even when Saul died, David avenged his death. The guy who, who thrust him through when, when Saul was mortally wounded and Amalekite came and finished him off because the king wanted him to. And later he tells David this and David's like, didn't you have any fear of killing God's anointed? What's the matter with you? And he says, and he grabs some of his guys and says, kill this guy. He's worthy of death. And he was. Does that sound like a man who hated Saul? I'm sure he didn't appreciate all the things that Saul put him through, but David was made of different stuff, good stuff. He was made of character, and he was waiting upon God. For 15 years, at least 15 years after he was anointed by Samuel, he, wasn't, he, he was coronated then after about 15 or so years. Do you think he was chomping at the bit, trying to kill Saul? He had opportunities, we're going to see, to kill Saul. He didn't. He says, I'm not going to put a finger on this man. God put him here. God can take him out without me. And God honored that. David wasn't a bloodthirsty man. But Samuel, or excuse me, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Now Saul was afraid of... Um, Yes, he was afraid. <laughs> Verse 13, excuse me. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. See, I mean, if you think about it, Saul was already distressed from this evil spirit, right? He's distressed already. And 
when David was obscure and hadn't killed Goliath, he was very content with David playing because David was a nobody. But now, not only is he distressed by the spirit, now he's the, his replacement is standing before him. And he knows it. And the character that Saul should have, he's seeing in David, and he's just like, man, I, it's like distress upon distress, right? You're supposed to help me, but your presence right now is agitating me even more. So you got to go. So he sends them away. It's sort of like how a person who is depressed, they turn to alcohol or drugs. And what does that do? It furthers their misery. It never is the solution. We're so sick as human beings. We think that when we're down and out, when we're going through something difficult, that alcohol or drugs or whatever is going to solve the problem. It never, ever does. It drags you down like an anchor to your feet, and you're in the Marianas Trench. It will take you all the way to the bottom until you die. If there's any of you flirting around with drugs or alcohol, that is not the solution. Jesus Christ is your solution. He is the only solution. Anything else is going to lead you to a timely death. Know that. That's the truth. But notice verse 14. David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. David was walking in the Spirit. He was walking in the Spirit. Saul was walking in the flesh. You can look at Galatians. We're not going to go there tonight. Galatians 5, 16 through uh, 21. And David was walking in the Spirit. And when you see some of the works of the flesh, and they're all listed there, many of those things Saul was guilty of. David was walking in the Spirit. Verse 15, it says, Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, again, he was afraid of him. This is like the uh, second or third time now that Saul is afraid of David. He's afraid. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as my wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let, me, let my hand not be against them, but let the hand of the Philistines be against them. Now remember, when David slew Goliath, what was the deal? You get a couple of things. You get to marry his oldest daughter, Merab. You also, um, you get to be free of taxes, and you also, um, there was something else, and I forgot. Your family is free of taxes, and, you know, and then you, you, you become wealthy yourself. I mean, those were the things, were they not? And so Saul's going to give him, me, Rab, or at least so he thinks. It was customary to give away the oldest daughter first, but now Saul is going to play this game with David. And notice... He's going to use it as a means, only fight my battles and you can have her. You know, well, I've already fought the battle, uh, Saul. Uh, she belongs to me now. Notice David never said that, but that was the deal. But Saul wanted more. It kind of reminds me of Laban and Jacob. Remember on the, on the, on the wedding night? He was supposed to be marrying Rachel, the one he really loved. He served him for seven years for Rachel. And then on the wedding night, they must have looked different, or they must have looked similar, or at least in the dark, maybe after a heavy night of, uh, you know, of celebrating. Maybe he didn't recognize. Maybe his sister, she had the same nose. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she had a veil over her face. I don't know. But he, he did a switcheroo in the middle of the night, and he, wokes up, he wakes up, and, ah, it's Leah. Now he's got to work another seven years for Rachel, and he did it because he loved her. Sounds kind of like what Saul's doing with David. 
he's hoping that if he goes out and gets into more battles, that the, the, the odds are going to be against David. He's going to die. So David said to Saul, verse 18, Who am I and what is my, what, my life or my father's uh, family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? This is a great honor. This must have been really awkward for David also because he knew that Saul's heart wasn't real. Saul's saying all these things, but I didn't forget forget Saul just a few days ago on two separate occasions while I was praying stairway to heaven. No, I'm only kidding. While I was playing, you know, hallelujah, and you threw the javelin at me. I didn't forget that. I didn't forget what you did. So he's being buttered up by Saul, and David's going, oh, I can see right through that. But, you know, David's heart is not like trying to do anything. He's just like, you know what, Lord? I, I just, I submit myself to you. I submit myself to you. And Jeremiah 9 verse 8 says, Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but his heart, he lies, in his heart, he lies in wait. That's exactly the character of Saul. Psalm 28, verse 3 says, Do not take me away from the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Have you ever been around somebody who speaks peace to you, but evil is in their hearts? It happens, doesn't it? It's an unfortunate thing. It's betrayal of the worst kind. But notice in verse 19, But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, as a wife. So Saul did a switcheroo, just like Laban did. And But notice, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So David, or Saul said, I will give her to him. That he may be a snare to that she may be a snare to him. Wow, sounds like a really nice daughter. I'm gonna give her to David. She's gonna be a real snare to him. I wonder what that was all about. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David, A second time, you shall be my son in law today. Yeah, right. Let's see what happens here. Saul had already planned this. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. And so Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor and lightly esteemed man? David still having a really wonderful heart of humility in spite of all the things that he knew were going on that were wrong against him. Wrongfully, they were happening. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner spake David. Notice Saul couldn't even speak to David. His anger and his jealousy was so great, he had to send messengers. He couldn't even talk to David face to face because he's just burning with so much anger. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines, to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to, take, to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Now, a dowry is something normally, uh, it's property or money that the bride would bring into a relationship. That's what, in, in most cultures, that's what a dowry is. <coughs> Excuse me. But this was actually called a bride price. This was a money or property that was given by the groom to the bride as they entered the marriage. So 
David, uh, Saul is telling David, look, you don't need to pay anything to marry my daughter, even though, didn't he win that as like a consolation, or, you know, not a consolation prize, but he, got, he, he won his daughter by killing Goliath, right? So why do I have to do this? It should automatically, so you can see how shady Saul is doing, and the, certainly the demonic influence on his life is tearing at him. And so he says, you know what, you don't have to pay a bride price, but this is what you do. I want 100 foreskins of the Philistines. So he's going to have to go kill 100 men and, and, and bring back 100 foreskins, right? Supposing, hoping the odds will be against him again, that he will die. But David, I, I love what he does. He actually brings twice, twice as many. He get, brings 200 back. Imagine what a great gift for your father-in-law. Sorry, it's not, a, it's not a nice car. It's not a new tie. 204 skins in a bag. You know, I mean, what a, what a great gift that was. Verse 26, so when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore, David arose and he and his men went and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and they killed them. I'm sorry, and they gave them in full count. They counted them to the king. You know, not 100, but 200. Look, there's 200 here. Thank you. And they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And then notice, Saul gave him, Michal, his daughter, as a wife. And I love this about David. You know, when somebody asked him to go one mile, what did he do? He went two miles. Saul asked for 100, he gave him 200. You know, I love that. Isn't that kind of the same concept that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount? Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And further, this I'm sure this heated the, the, the bitter hatred between David and Saul even further, because David not only gave him what he asked, but he imperiled his life again to go give him double what he had asked for. And I don't think David was doing it just to stick a knife in, the, in, in a, you know, proverbial in, in Saul's ribs. I, I really think he was just saying, you know what? I'll do anything. I'm your servant. And see, that's what a servant does. A servant doesn't try to uh, usurp his master. David, certainly as a, a young man from obscurity, just to be even in his circle was a great honor. Every young boy in Israel would love to be that position. He was content with that. And isn't that true? Isn't there something to learn about that? God can seem to entrust something to someone when they're content with so much less. They're like, you know what? I am totally cool with this. I don't need any more. I'm very thankful, very blessed. And just like when God came to, uh, to, to Solomon, says, what do you want, Solomon? He goes, all I want is to have wisdom to, to judge this people of yours, Lord. That's all I want. And God says, Really? Well, not only will I give you that, but I'm going to make you the richest man. I'm going to make you the wisest man in all the world. No one will be like you. Because you didn't ask for it, I'm going to give it to you. Because his heart could handle it. He got into trouble later on, but that was a different story. But notice verse 28. So thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And it's interesting, too, we'll find that she loved him, and probably she looked at him as a hero. 
like all the other women in Israel, were thinking, wow, you know, he's such a dreamboat. I'd love to have him as my husband. And Michal loved him for a season, but we'll find out later that she became jealous just like her father. David's character, David's heart exposed her heart, which wasn't so good. And instead of going, you know what, I, I want to ascribe, I want to come up to that place. Instead of doing that, what did she do? She teared him down. She looked out the window, saw him dancing in 2 Samuel 6, you know, as he's coming in with the Ark of the Covenant. And he's dancing. He's totally abandoned to worshiping God. He's just, he's ghosted. <laughs> He's filled with the Spirit of God, and he is loving, worshiping the Lord. And she looks out the window and goes, I can't stand this guy. Doesn't even have his shirt on. And David wasn't even concerned about his abs. He wasn't concerned about anything. He was gone. He was just so thankful. And see, that's what, what's so cool about real worship. Real worship may look a little strange to some people. Notice verse 29, and Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's, notice, David's enemy continually. Again, Saul was even more afraid. This is the third time in this chapter. Verse 12, verse 15, now verse 25, or 29. He's afraid of him. And for each one of Saul's schemes that David, David met them and he overcame them, and it further sent Saul into deeper depravity and sin, always brings a person down unless their sin is repented of. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And what is the, what is the progression of sin? You can look at Psalm 1, and this is a great place to look. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Do you see the progression for somebody who is in an evil spot? First, they're walking along, kind of tasting it. Ah, I'm not so sure. Oh, they're just kind of going along. They're, they're involved in it. They're trafficking. Next thing you know, they're a little more solidified in that sin, and they're standing, and it's not too long. They're like, I'm settled in this. I'm settled in this, and they sit in the seat of the scornful. That's where Saul had gotten. This hatred was very reminiscent of Cain and Abel. Cain being so jealous of his brother Abel because God had respect to his offering. Verse 30, Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. And I love Psalm 75. We'll end here and we'll take communion together. It says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the lives of Samuel, or excuse me, Saul and David. God was going to put down one, and he was going to exalt the other. And it would take 15 years. 15 years. I want you to think about, before we take communion, think about what that must have been like for David. Samuel had anointed him. Everyone saw it. His brothers, everybody saw what had happened but it wouldn't come to pass. His coronation wouldn't come to pass until after the Philistines killed Saul. 
David wasn't going to lay a finger even though he had the opportunity a couple different times. That's the kind of character I like. That's why Jonathan loved him, because Jonathan was a like spirit. He was one of those people. Do you want to be a person like that? A person of your word? A friend that sticks closer than a brother? Do you have a best friend maybe that you need to go make amends to because maybe you hurt them? It's never too late to go and ask for forgiveness. It's never too late to go ask for forgiveness from a family member who you've hurt, or maybe they hurt you. Go and get it right. Right? 